Welcome to the New Books Network. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening from wherever you're listening. Welcome to New Books in South Asia, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Ujan. In today's episode, I'm speaking to Katerina Guenzi on her book, Words of Destiny, published by State University of New York Press. Guenzi holds a doctorate in social anthropology from the EHESS Paris and University of Siena. Since 2008, she is the associate professor at the EHESS and member of the Center for South Asian Studies, Paris. She was co-editor of CEIAS and editor-in-chief of the quarterly journal LOM from 2016 to 2020. After conducting ethnographic research on astrological counseling in Banaras, she is in the process of completing a monograph based on her translation of Karma Vipaksha Samhita, an early modern Sanskrit treatise on infertility that combines astrology and past life narratives. Currently, she is based in Chandigarh to investigate the plural landscape of assisted reproduction. A welcome, Professor Gwenzi, to our podcast today. Hello, good evening for me. Good morning for you. <laughs> yes. So, um, so let, let's start with uh, something uh, biographical. How did you come to write about astrology in particular and India in, in general? Yeah, so um, I wouldn't say that it was my karma. <laughs> I, I would rather say that it was um, uh, a, a step-by-step choice and uh, it was because of my training, because I, I did lots of classics in my uh, previous education and uh, Greek and Latin, so I was interested also in in doing some anthropological work that would include also a textual approach so and uh, to choose a subject that would be um, related also to textual studies but uh, about astrology um, I would say that it it, it, I had not planned to, to work on astrology, but when I went to Banaras, to, I was planning to study some Romanical community. I, I met a, a woman that was the, my age. I was 22 at the time, and she, she was involved. She was doing a PhD in uh, astrology and gynecological problems, women's health women's reproductive health and I was very much um, that aroused my curiosity that a, a woman of my age was doing uh, exactly the same kind of um, uh, degree than I was about to do I mean in the form it was very similar what uh, very similar to what I was doing so uh, academic research she was doing she had a research project uh, about uh, the, ast- the astral influence on, on women reproductive health, and uh, but so in the form it was very similar to what I was doing. Interested in um, in the, um, the human being in, in an academic framework, but in the content it was so different. I mean, for me it was uh, very very um, surprising to that one could do a PhD in astrology. So it was really this uh, institu- institutionalized aspect of um, astrology that aroused my curiosity. 
and that her father was uh, uh, sitting as a doctor in a, in a public hospital, in a governmental hospital of uh, Banaras Hindu University. And he had a salary, he was a functionary, a civil servant there. So in specializing also in medical astrology, um, and also it was a family, they were astrologers since nine generations. So I, I wanted to, so there, is, there was this similarity between me and her, Genbati, and this huge difference. So as an anthropologist, I, I thought that there was something to, to dig to and to explore further. Yeah, right. And uh, so, so, uh, so first, did you, uh, when you first came for your field work uh, in Benares, and, um, and then in your book, you talk about the institutionalization of astrology because you talk about the Benares Hindu University. And so can you walk through a bit of how astrology is institutionalized? Because that part I found very interesting and I had no idea. Yes, actually in 2001, uh, the Bharatiya Janata Party, the BGP, that is uh, even now in power, uh, wanted to promote the teaching of astrology uh, and especially of Vedic astrology in Indian universities. And this created a, a vivid polemic in the public debate and um, and it was understood, uh, obviously, as a move of uh, saffronization of Indian education uh, to promote especially Vedic astrology in Indian university. But uh, it is true that in Banaras, astrology used to be there in Banaras University uh, long before this um, Hindutva move at the beginning of the 21st century. And uh, because astrology that is Jyotish, that is a, a, a field of knowledge, that a system of knowledge that includes uh, uh, astronomy, mathematics, astrology, and divination, that is uh, epistemologically very eclectic, uh, because it, it includes uh, some subjects that we would now see as scientific and other that are not considered as such nowadays, uh, Jyotish, so Jyotish astral science, including astronomy, astrology, mathematics, and divination, uh, used to be uh, taught since the very beginning of the institutionalization of uh, knowledge, uh, of education, sorry, during colonial times. And um, especially when the British wanted to create Banaras College, the Banaras College, uh, Jyotish one, was one of the subjects taught in the Sanskrit College there. And uh, for Brahmins, this use was a, a very important subject because it was one of the subjects that would lead to more occupational uh, opportunities. Uh, but for the British, this was very difficult to accept. And uh, I recently published a paper on this, um, and I'm talking also about this in my book. But so astrology used to be part of the curriculum, and uh, but after the Munich of Education in um, 1835, when the British wanted to anglicize um, Indian education, so it was forbidden, forbidden, and uh, the teaching of astrology. 
was uh, removed from the curriculum. So uh, then at BHU and at some point uh, during 19th century, again, uh, it was institutionalized and again was from but so the teaching of astrology is there since the very beginning of both universities uh, whatever is nowadays called the, the Sanskrit University Sampurnananda Sanskrit Baranasaya Sanskrit University and Banaras Hindu University and Banaras in Banaras Hindu University in BHU it is there since the very beginning so it was in Mal- Malavia project it's the beginning. Right. And so let me ask you this, though, which is, which is always very perplexing, is that we, I mean, it, people now call it Vedic astrology, but there is no astrology in the Vedas. I mean, of course, we know that Jyotisha is part of the Vedangas, but what we classically call the Vedas, um, there's no Jyotish there, right? Yeah. Uh, there is no Jyotish. There are some uh, elements. I'm... <laughs> So there are two things to be said. There is a treatise which is called Jyotish Vedanga, which is uh, is is a Vedanga. So, but it is an astronomical and calendrical treatise, and there are no planets mentioned in this, and there is no horoscopy, you know, whatever we call nowadays astrology is not there. And in the Veda, uh, there are nakshatras, nakshatras are mentioned. That is um, lunar mentions. So there are some astral elements that are used to identify, for example, the, the appropriate moments to celebrate sacrifice or to for marriage. So there are auspicious and inauspicious uh, nakshatra, but uh, you don't have. I mean, it's it is very it's very far and very different from whatever we call nowadays. Um, Astrology, especially horoscopy based on planetary movements. But still, you have some astral and I would say astrological elements there. But of course, when you say Vedic astrology, it's not whatever you will find in the Veda. Yeah. Um, and right. So, so at what point do you think that there was? Because I know that um, sometime in when we are. Uh, like we know in Varahamihira, by the time Varahamihira was writing Brihad Jataka, we completely have that horoscope and etc. And there's this always, um, but so do you think that it was the Greek influence and from there the Indians learned uh, the planetary system and the horoscope? Uh, uh, there was a transmission of knowledge, this is for sure. There are many technical terms that are uh, phonetic transcription in Sanskrit of Greek words and many uh, concepts and techniques definitely are of Greek origin. Then about the details, there is uh, nowadays the research is still going on. And, uh, you know, when I wrote my thesis, when I wrote my book, uh, there was one, <laughs> the only, I would say, uh, the biggest authority, and he's still the biggest authority, is David, the work of David Pingree, the historian of science, uh, who studied very carefully all kind of uh, transmission of astral concepts between uh, the Greek, the Latin, the, the Arabic, the Persian, the, uh, the Indian 
so in and he was uh, he was searching for transmissions, but of course there are also many uh, ot- uh, autochthonous uh, ideas and concepts, and there is I mean this is only one side of the of the picture, and nowadays scholars like Bill uh, uh, Mack or Michuiano are some way uh, balancing the picture and and showing that there are many indigenous treaties and concepts and ideas that were already there and that made um, this Jyotish a, a, a vernacular uh, science, I would say, even if, if, of course, there are Greek elements in it. Okay. So... Uh, to come back to the book and the way we are discussing uh, the issues at BHU. Uh, so one thing I would ask, because you talked about scholars, amongst anthropologists, there has been sort of a lot less work on astrology than there should be because it's such a thing. Like we have astrology anthropologists working on various aspects of Indian ritual life, let's say but we don't have a lot of interest in astrology from scholars. And um, so why do you think that is? Yeah, I still don't know <laughs> why why so less studies were, were done on, on this subject that is so obvious, I would say, uh, to, all observers, to all external observers of of Indian society since the 19th century, uh, the, import, the preeminence and the importance of astrology in Indian society is just uh, an evidence. But um, but still, very less studies. I think there must be many reasons, and um, probably uh, astrology is very technical. Is the is not artistic, is not properly religious, is not is not fitting our uh, academic uh, um, divisions. Like it's not it, as if I talk about anthropology, it doesn't fall into medical anthropology, it doesn't fall into religious anthropology. It is always in between, and I think that. This may be one of the reasons. The other is that I think there is this suspicious that suspicion that um, whenever you are studying astrology, either you believe in it or it is not something serious, and uh, and it was always marginalized as a as a not serious subject to be studied. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and, yeah, and I, I would imagine that to be a very strange, you can say pedagogical or, or whatever um, institutional bias, because astrology, whatever your personal feelings are with it, it's, it's especially for those who study India, it's something that continues to be so influential in the everyday of the average Indian, uh, more than we perhaps um, sort of give it credit for. And in, in the urban areas, of course, you have, and YouTube, of course, has radicalized astrology. There's YouTube channels dedicated it that daily have things, uh, shows and daily uploads. And there's the same thing in um, in Calcutta, you know, that um, l- like you have the infomercials that would once come up like 12 o'clock at night. 
so they have these jyotish advertisements and yeah people listen to that carefully so yeah i mean i also struggle to wrap my head around why we have this gap in uh, the way we approach astrology because it's uh, so influential so yeah so my next question would be then a bit to ask you about your experience uh, because you give a very thick description of benares's astrological scene and um if you could just walk us through a bit of that so what is it like to be in benares what is it i mean what's the sort of competitions what are the main astrological the way astrology is practiced in benares yeah so uh i can really say now i'm i'm in in based in chandigarh for uh, another fever hacking this confirms me that in banaras astrology is everywhere because here i can't see it uh, as much as i i could see over there of course there is a structure of the city the gods uh, and the the touristic areas where astrology is sold to tourists and this make it very much uh, uh, prominent lots of displays of the importance of astrology and then there are uh, uh, temples and the galleries and where astrology is advertised everywhere but then you have also uh, if you search for them, you'll find that the most popular astrologers are not necessarily those who have an advertisement or who are on, on internet or, or uh, but who are known from uh, person to person and, and that when you find many, many people uh, waiting in, in, the, in, the, in the waiting room or, uh, or uh, near the temple so then you will understand that that is an astrologer that is uh, is popular and 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 this is how I, I'm, this was my main criteria not to not to search for um, um, astrologer who would advertise them uh, themselves nor to search necessarily for the most uh, knowledgeable or learned astrologers although I had met some of them, but they were not really practicing. So they were more in academics. And and um, and so you have a huge variety of practitioners that uh, go from those who are practicing, mixing astrology and other kinds of knowledge uh, related to Tantra and to... Um, boot and prep and and this is one end of the spectrum and the other would be uh university professors who would keep themselves very um yeah very um they have a, a distant attitude to practice so they would uh, but and so their way of practicing will be very different but all of them uh, have some clients and uh, and uh, are can be defined as astrologers right and um and i i read that you met uh, neelkanth shastri and there's a whole lot of meat making about him um even who have like who are mild enthusiasts of astrologers and studying astrology know a bit about him uh, so um so i know that you met him and you discussed um so could you explain a bit of um 
how it was, what is his way of working and how that helped you in your field work in understanding how astrology works in um Yes, uh, so Nikha Shastri is probably, it was probably the most renowned and popular astrologers in Banaras when uh, I was doing my fieldwork. And uh, he had, um, I would say, a, a family business. Uh, or anyway, he, he had a, a, a kind of um, structure uh, or a professional uh, structure he had two temples he had an office and he had really all range of clients because he used to receive um lower classes and lower caster very um poor clients before eight o'clock and then uh during the day um the the, the kind of clients would progressively uh, become upper and upper classes and so was the um, the the cost of the consultation would go on during the day till the evening and it was also while the first consultation in the morning were very open to everyone um, it used to become more and more secret during the day till night time I would say and he So he used to, especially, he was around, he was well known for his palmistry, the way he would make horoscopes out of palm reading. So he was uh, writing horoscopes with the 12 houses, but only based on palm reading. And he was very less talkative compared to other astrologers, and especially his brother, who was much more talkative and he used to discuss like he was very less talkative and he would just study for a long time the palm often very carefully and then prescribe remedies but uh, um, very li- with very little counseling we would say oh okay right so and um So what was your sense, like, as, as doing anthropology in Benares when you're looking at people coming and going, um, w- w- how would you interpret or what was your sort of idea of what astrology, what role astrology plays in lives of people in Benares? Um, so first I would say that astrology is mainly a middle and upper class practice. Uh, because the, right, yeah. um, the families who are facing uh, problems relating to how to survive, they will not care about horoscope. And so it, it, astrology concerns those families who are in a decision process, decision-making process. Um, Astrology will will be useful for them rather than for those who cannot choose between different options. So it is very useful for a middle and upper class society who have to decide about career, about education of children, about uh, where to live, the kind of house they would have, and this and that. So astrology plays an important role for them also because in some way astrology is an individualized um, 
I would say that um, astrology uh, focus on the individual, and uh, this is also something that, uh, although in my book I show that uh, the horoscope concerns all the family, uh, but still this attention to the individual is prominent, is more important among middle and upper classes. Um, Right. So, and maybe and, I lost you. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. That's perfectly fine. Uh, but with that, I wanted to ask you a bit, which I thought that was the most interesting bit about your discussion uh, was on karma and bhagya. And uh, you explained that um, karma, though, is a very dominant way of understanding and interpreting Indian existence, or Hindu existence at least. Um, Jyotisha is exactly opposite to that. But for some reason or somehow, they have started accommodating themselves. And I was just very curious to know how that process happened um, and how Jyotesha, which is so anti the thesis of karma, sort of um, acclimatizes itself with it. Hmm. Yeah, this is a still open question. <laughs> And I'm still working on it. And there are different aspects and context. And uh, but in my book, I really and during my field work, I really I was very much surprised to see how less uh, importance was given to karma and uh, astrologers were always talking about pagya. That is uh, the allotted share. From uh, it is uh, so a word that comes from bhaj to to share to to divide, and it is an idea of um, having somewhat a, a, a wealth that is uh, or a, a a part that is attributed at birth, and that you will be able to increase or to or that you will lose if you are not doing the right choices. But especially what struck me is it was the uh, non-moral approach that astrologers were um, non-moral stand that they would have during consultations while in karma uh, the most important thing is the quality, the moral quality of the action that you are doing. So it is uh, punya versus papa, and in in astrological counseling, whatever you were doing, uh, as bad that could be, like uh, adultery, drug addiction, uh, being uh, uh, very lazy, or not doing, not studying, not going to temple, all this was not your fault but it was because of planets. So it would reverse completely the perspective that you have in the karmic theory where you are responsible for your... But then, of course, um, the two of them are not contradictory, but are rather complementary. And so you can always say that the positions of your planets, your planets are there because of what you have done previously in your past life. And uh, so the two can be combined and articulated in, in one, only, um, one only cosmology. In, in one. But, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, but I'm very curious to know, like, for example, the, the th- this is what most astrologers would say that, right, like, if you have a bad karma in your past life, your planets are positioned as they are in present life. But if you push that argument to the logical extreme, at some point in time, when you're first born or whatever, you had a blank slate, right? So what happened then? And I always thought that that's sort of the contradiction. And um, they're sort of like two contradictory philosophies that they're trying to bring together to for some reason. Yeah, actually, I I don't know if there are contradictory. And in some way, I think, because now I'm still working on, on this uh, question of the articulation between karma and astrology, because I'm, I've translated this treatise, the Karma Vipaka Samhita, and uh, it is there, it is still a matter of uh, astrology and karma. And from what I can see, there, you have very little astrology and lot of past, in this treatise, lot of past life biographies. So it is the other way around compared to my, I mean, to whatever I have observed in Banares. So uh, etiology would be on, on the past life side rather than astrological side. But uh, nakshatras, that is lunar mentioned, are there to tell you what, which one was your past life? So how to choose your past life? And since biographies are there described. Oh, anyway, uh, what I want to say is that probably these two, because one, uh, it, it is clear that in the, in the part of the world where you have the karmic theory, you also have astrology. So I would say the two, that the two must work uh, together well <laughs> to keep even although they are in some way uh, antagonist and one could also say contradictory um, they still work well together because and this obeys care uh, had not had remarked about this uh, in the karmic theory you have lots of unknown you know you don't know you don't know what you have done. So it is, it is. Uh, there is this karmic opacity, and astrology bring, brings light on this opacity of what you might have done, because we don't know what we have done in past lives. So uh, can, one can also say that astrology is very popular, also because it it brings light on karma although in a different perspective, of course. And... That, that's a very interesting way to put it. Yes, it does. Uh, yeah, that, that is a very interesting way to put it. But now, I mean, this question is generally kept for last, but since you mentioned, we'll just bring it forward. It's about your next project, which you are saying that this um, treatise, which talks about past life and how nakshatras can illuminate past life, that seems to be like a very, I mean, um, is, is I have not, I never heard of this text before, so I was very interested to know a bit more about this. So if you could just say a bit on what this text is, how this text operates in terms of explaining past life and astrology. Yeah, actually, this is a very unusual and original text. 
There is nothing similar. I mean, there is another one that is has a similar approach, but otherwise, uh, it is a, a very astonishing <laughs> text. And I came to know about this text through an article written by, by David Pingree. Uh, it is an article about two Karmavipaka treaties, and he's mentioning Karmavipaka and the other one, which is Vrida Surya Suryaruna uh, Karmavipaka. And uh, both of them contains biographies uh, of the passions of uh, astrologers. And especially in the Karmavipaka Samhita, uh, there is the setting of the consultation that is described. So you know that this text has been written for passions who are especially suffering from uh, infertility and other um other disease or disorders and and you have this um you have it in in the karma vipaka samhita uh, the karma vipaka samhita develops a a a very uh, unusual approach because it is a kind of case studies uh because you can see that um it is describing, you know, in in, uh, in in generally in Brahmanical literature, in Sanskrit literature, you have the, the paradigm of Shastra that is very much prominent, and and in Shastra you always have uh, rules. You have rules. You have theoretical statements. You have norms, and that are always um, always true and. Uh, and they're not referring to any particular um, reality or uh, context that it is um, will not be. Um, I'm sorry, <laughs> you have to cut. <laughs> there is no uh, singularity. And here in the Karma Vipaka Samhita, the Karma Vipaka Samhita develops an approach that is. Uh, interested in singularity. So you see that that person who has this kind of problem, who is blind, who is, must have had those lives. So, I mean, it is complicated to explain in, in a very short, but is it one of the few, this you can, what I'm going to say, you can keep it. <laughs> this is one of the few um, Brahmanical texts that is putting together seriously uh, karma and astrology in a systematic way because according to the nakshatra in which you are born you'll see, you will come to know about your past lives and and also is uh, one of the very few Brahmanical texts where um, past lives uh, have are given to see I mean, usually uh, common, ordinary People are not allowed to, they don't have the power to see their past life. While in the Karma Vipaka Samhita, uh, past lives become accessible to uh, ordinary persons through astrology. I'm sorry. <laughs> maybe. Now, maybe it was not clear, but uh, there are many interesting aspects about this treatise. I was, since now I'm working on something else. 
<laughs> no, 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 absolutely. I love, I, I love this explanation because, um, I mean, I know that in South India, uh, we have the Nadi, which also somehow m- mixes the concept of past life and um, this thing. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm. The, the thing is, I, I just know very elementary Tamil. I'm just trying to learn it. But so if I ever learn it, I'll try to do. I mean, read a bit more of the Nadi text because there's not a lot of translations of the Nadis and. Uh, most of them are, um, and of course, it's a whole different tradition of practicing and uh, so on and so forth. And and I, I don't know if there has been any work in anthropology on the Nari astrology, but I don't think so. Uh, there is not, not anthropological because I think it's very difficult. And especially nowadays, it has become very commercial. And uh, so it's not so easy to, and it's, it's also a secret practice. So they are not ready to disclose. I mean, those who have tried. And but you have a textual study by Martin Gunston, which is a textual study. So, it, but at least there is a, a study on that gives some some clue. idea on yeah 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 and yeah that yeah well I I just guess we'll have to wait for it uh, when somebody or or if finally they open up but if they don't that's but you have a, in, yeah, in north india you have the brigu samhita yes that right. is somewhat similar and was also mm-hmm. for me difficult to come to know more about the brigu samhita because um this is also there is much secrecy about around it oh, so right. yeah. it's not easy to find people who who I mean, many people would say that they have it, but nobody right. has seen it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and there's all sorts of stories and lore about... Um, I know one story about um, R. Santanam. I don't know if that's true or not, but R. Santanam, who edited the now Brihat Parashara Hora Shastra. There's a, um, there's a story somebody told me when I was dabbling in this thing, and he said that... Um, I don't remember what text it was, but it was one of the Vashishtanari or something like that. He called um, this person and said that I have got the Vashishtanari or some other text that he thought, Santanam thought was going to reveal a lot more about astrology than we ever know about. But he apparently immediately passed away after that. So, you know, there's, there's all sorts of lures and things like that about that. So we don't... Uh, know enough about that but but there's a lot of truly a lot of secrecy about astrological text all over and there's a lot of secrecy in rajasthan also i know uh, rajasthan has its sort of inner ways of working and i know um, in in orissa in puri we have a completely different way of looking at astrology um yeah there are so many different regional traditions and uh, practice that should be i hope that will be explored Good. Yeah, true. Um, so I just have now like sort of the main part of your book, which is about um, middle class afflictions. Um, and so if you could tell to those who are listening, um, what exactly is it? Why exactly is it that astrology um, appeals to the middle class? Because at some level, you would think that people who are educated would think this as superstition and not believe in it but we know that it's exactly the opposite, but we just don't know why. But I think you give a very good answer why, so if you could just uh, speak a bit on that. 
Yeah, um, when I was observing consultations and when I was discussing with astrologers and with clients, they would also make a, a difference between uh, Shastric knowledge, whatever is based on Shastra that is, uh, that is considered to be true and is considered to be rational, uh, versus uh, Laukic um, knowledge, whatever is popular. And in this category, they used to put uh, like Ujasoka, those practitioners who um, who deal with put and pret, that is ghostly spirits, and and so they used to um, and that treat people through exorcism. And so there used to be this fracture between two kinds of knowledge, two kinds of practitioners, and and I used to think that, okay, so middle and upper class, they would prefer astrology because it sounds completely rational, it's textually based, there is no physical uh, in, no physical uh, contact between the practitioners and, and no physical treatment. And uh, um, so it, it is very much intellectual and so it would appeal to... Uh, middle and upper class, also because if it, it is expensive and you have these precious stones. And, and on the other side, you have these popular practices through exorcisms, ghost possessions, and where the, the, the physics is very much involved, you will see, and is much more performative, I would say. Uh, but then, what this was at the beginning, I saw like two different worlds, one for middle upper class and the other for uh, low caste and um, classes. But then while digging and, and going deeper in the understanding of astrology and also uh, uh, with Sunita, my friends and research, uh, research sister, I would say, uh, we were also... Uh, observing the, the work of other kinds of practitioners, not only astrologers. And I realized that the differences are mainly in the form, but that substantially, when you look at the way uh, these powerful beings are supposed to act on human beings, uh, take it... Um, in one case, you have a so-called boot and bread, like ghosts and demons. And the other case, you have planets and uh, you have mainly planets who are called graha, that means Caesars. You'll see that the way graha are described in the horoscope and the way their influence is described is very similar to boot and bread and to these kinds of uh, malevolent uh, beings who attack and who will stick on the human body and you have to remove. And so at the end, I, I thought that these were two different ways of talking about human affliction by malevolent beings that were, although um, supposedly very different, they were also very similar. So, so I thought that, yeah, this was the... the so... So if I would ask you this in another way, and this would be like a bit overreaching, but it appears to me, would you then say that astrology 
with its formalized language um, acts as what um, Althusser or other Marxist scholars would interpret as ideological state apparatuses, like some version of an apparatus, ideological apparatus that preserves class and caste hegemony for the Brahmins in the upper caste. Yeah, could be. Good point. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It is, I think it is, a, it, it has worked as a um, uh, historian, Chris Bailey, he has shown that astrology has contributed to the pan-Indianization of, uh, of knowledge and of religion because astrology is all over uh, different parts and regions of India and contributed. And this is what's also in BHU project of a, a Hinduization of, of uh, Indian traditions. But you can also say, yes, that it contributes to, to keep uh, classes separated and you for me it was this was very much um, visible in in this uh, in the remedies also because uh, middle upper class would wear uh, ring gold and golden and silver rings with precious stones while the lower classes would only wear jantars you know amulets in uh, and and this is another way of um, affirming a distinction more in a Bourdieu sense of... Uh, yeah, because um, I, these amulets sort of mark as class identifiers. Like um, if you see somebody wearing a huge ruby in his ring finger or her ring finger, you know that they belong to a different class as opposed to if somebody's wearing, let's say, one of those amulets across the neck or arm, you'd know that, you know, they may not be... And, and it, these arts as material markers of class also. I think. Absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, and, and now that you say it, I'm thinking that um, what we traditionally call as the, in Bengali, we call this uh, the Ojha, which is basically the exorciser, exorcist. Um, but it's sort of a broad term for uh, people who give remedies uh, for afflictions like bhut, breath, bhut vada, and so on and so forth. Um, but there's also this class caste angle now, right? Because uh, there's no way that the Ojha is going to be a Brahmin. But the astrologer, more often than not, who's going to give you this formalized treatment of your maladies is going to be from an upper class. So, Yeah, although it was not the case... Uh, long ago, I mean, I think few generations, but even maybe one or two generations ago, astrologer and in different parts of India, they are not always, uh, they, they didn't have always a high status. And uh, for example, the community of Brahmins that I used to study before coming into astro astrology as a subject was the Shakadwipi Brahmins. They, they had a very bad and reputation and uh, in spite of being uh, Brahmins they used to be they were considered as untouchables and um, uh, Brahmins would not accept water or food from them, they would not marry to them because they were specializing in astrology and especially uh, astrologers used to accept uh, Grahadana that is the, the gifts for the planets 
we are, which are particularly uh, inauspicious. And nowadays they are no more accepting this grahadana. They would say to the patients to offer them to some poor Brahmin street, but otherwise they used to accept this. And so their, their uh, reputation was in their status, their purity status uh, used to be very low. Oh, that that's an interesting uh, caveat. Uh, yeah, that that's very interesting. And um, so the final part of your book talks about remedies, which we already touched upon a bit. And um, this sort of ties to this broader question that you also discussed. That sometimes, okay, see, that's sorry, we'll have to redo this because somebody outside my house decided to bang. Something. I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Yeah, so we'll just redo this. So yes. So the last part of your book talks about remedies, which we touched upon briefly. But I, I just wanted to know, and you talk about this elsewhere also, is that sometimes the astrologer's prediction would fail, right? Uh, and then how would the clients and how would people in general make sense of that and still keep believing in the practice? Yeah, so this this happens very often. I would say this is the regular working of astrology is a permanent uh, bargaining of truth, I would say. <laughs> Uh, they keep negotiating uh, the truth, and uh, and uh, of course, uh, prediction not only in time, but also sometimes they only have the horoscope set, so they would have to guess who's the owner of the horoscope, and and they would say so, like uh, she's uh, she's very bright, and the mother say, oh no, she has lots of problems at school, and so she's very oh, but she can see that she's very tall. Oh no, she's she's not very tall. Oh, you can see that she's uh, quite thin. No, she's very fat. Okay, so it's like the last thing would be so she has black hair, <laughs> and or she would. I remember an astrologer said so. He, she has long hair, long black hair, and the mother said no. She has very short hair. So there. Um, uh, the, <laughs> the bargaining comes to an end, and um, so there are this this kind of uh, exchange are very uh, of course very often, and they have to so astrologers and patients have to find their their a meeting point where there are two versions of reality would meet, the one that is described in the horoscope and the one that is perceived by the by the client. Um, so, uh, but usually when they have to decide where is the truth, they would, both of them would rely on the horoscope and keep the, hor- the horoscope as the, as a, a truth that cannot be questioned, while the the reality that is perceived by passions can always be questioned, because uh, they can, like uh, in my book, I'm describing this case of uh, of a woman who just delivered a baby, and she's a girl, I think, if I remember, and he's saying, but you should have had a boy. And she's saying that he's a girl, and so he says that maybe because you had C-section, someone has changed the baby, and they can always question. Even you know, if someone is uh, is nice to you, you don't know. I mean, they can also question 
whatever is the perceived reality and um, and so they 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 will uh, instigate I don't know if you say instigate a doubt they will instill a doubt in the person and these doubts are always there uh, in the perception of like about the age of the girl uh, they will I mean, if you doubt about the age of the girl, uh, there are so many people who are lying about the age of the girl that it can all, it makes sense. And so at the end, they would, if nothing is matching with the perception of the passions and passions are insisting that this is what they perceive, that the girl is such and such or that the boy is such and such. So at that point, the astrologer would say that this is not the right horoscope. But, but maybe uh, I would say that the horoscope is kept as, the, as, a, as an unquestionable truth and is the reality who has to be questioned. I mean, maybe you have not understood what was in front of you. Maybe you misunderstood what happened. Maybe an so astrologers are there also to make people questioning their own perceptions of the reality. Yeah, and and you say that this comes from this um, idea that the gods' language was corrupted by men later, um, and and so what is that? I found that very intriguing. Yeah, this is I'm quoting Shalmanod, <laughs> very interesting studies is is out of context because he's mostly talking about Vedic gods and Vedic gods language but I, I like to match that <laughs> his view and that I wanted to to mention it to refer to it but um, but it's true that there is this idea that uh, uh, whatever is written in the horoscope, it's clear and it's much more luminous and it's brighter than the reality that is in front of us, which is which can uh, be misleading and uh, is not reliable. It's not. It's too complex to be um, to be trusted, and our perception our perceptions are fallacious. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. So I guess we're nearing an hour, so I guess we'll wrap up um, now. And then I, 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 don't, I don't have any other question, but um, I just, before we sign off, I just have to ask you this. That have you ever been interested in looking at astrology? Because one thing that is, um, that I have seen around me, and especially after coming to the US, I have seen that astrology is uh, very popular amongst the NRI Hindus. And there is like people would come to language schools to study Sanskrit so that they could do astrology. And there's uh, annual conferences and things like that. And um, do you, how, did you ever have uh, any idea of working on a diaspora community of Hindus who also are for some reason very obsessed with astrology? And mm. um, no, I haven't. I think that. It would be maybe more difficult because of uh, many reasons, because of the ideological, um, of uh, 
because in the I think that uh, in, in the diasporic uh, communities there are also um, the borders between academic and non-academics are uh, very often blurred and uh, and uh, there are also many uh, American wasp I would say that uh, are 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 considered him, themselves as Hindu so it would be difficult also to say where is where does it finish this uh, uh, diasporic community and where does it start the the, the American um, I haven't I'm I'm always interested in in India, but uh, I hope that someone else will do. <laughs> sure, it is very important and it's very very influential. It's absolutely influential, and uh, uh, American astrologers uh, are not only an are are considered as authorities even in India. I mean, some some of them and their books. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I guess and that's that. It's an hour, so I guess, and it's pretty late for you too. So I'll just uh, uh, say just thank you for being with us today and discussing your wonderful work. And I wish you all the best uh, for your future project, which I'm sure is going to be a, a very influential contribution to the astrological um, ideas about astrology in both in terms of textuality and in terms of anthropology. Thank you so much for inviting me to discuss.